0: on media this is coming out stories it's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life i'm emma goswell well you're now going to hear from davina decampo yep star of the voice and the runner-up from the first ever rupaul's drag race uk the only drag queen i know who can sing in four octaves you know what they can introduce themselves
1: I am Divina De Campo. I am from the north of England, a little place called House. and I'm 37. And today, I'm getting filler for the first time. You're
0: joking! (laughs) You're seriously doing that today? Yeah. (laughs) How come you're allowed to have filler, but you're not allowed to have your eyebrows done? That doesn't make any sense. You
1: see, I'm actually going to a medical practitioner. Instead of beautician. Ah. So it's not Tracy who's had two weeks training in, you know, a polytechnic. It's somebody who's had six years training. <laughs>
0: You don't need weren't. it anyway, darling, you don't need it.
1: <laughs> it's just in my tear troughs, you know, I just want to look a little less tired all the time.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Right, well, let's crack on with your coming out story then. So for people who don't know, how would you say you identified, Domina? Um
1: I am non-binary, that's how I identify. So I I don't see myself as a man or a woman, it's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And it never really did. You know, I'd always said, I'm just a person, I'm not a man or a woman, I'm just a person. Mm. And that was when I was sort of 18, 19, you know, I'm sort of thinking about all of those things while I'm at university, but there wasn't quite the language, not as many people had had the language to articulate that, whereas now it's much more common, you know, people are much more able to describe what their lived experience is.
0: And I would say that's only in the last couple of years, wouldn't you? That people have even sort of begun to hear the term non-binary a bit more frequently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is to me. Like I'd always been talking about, it's just I'm not a man or a woman, I'm just a person. Um, And it really is only in the last couple of years where that terminology has become available to the wider public anyway. You know, so that people can go, oh, so it's not A or B, it's something else. Which I think, you know, for most people actually is is where they are. You know, it's I'm not, I can't fully subscribe to man or, do you know what I mean? Because what is that anyway? It's some weird, you, you have to fit in this box or this box.
0: But do you think being non-binary is very different to being gender fluid? Because would you say gender fluid is more, you know, some days you might identify as masculine and other days you might identify as feminine as well. Whereas do you feel like you're pretty much slap bang in the middle?
1: Yeah that's what it is to me that you sort of shift if you're gender fluid, you're shifting between the binary. Whereas as a non binary person that doesn't <laughs> the binary just doesn't really yeah. apply. <laughs> that's my understanding of it.
0: But then when you do drag, do you feel like you're more, more identifying with the female side of you? Well I don't know really because I
1: <laughs> that's something else. You know, drag to me is about specifically for me as a male bodied person, that's about highlighting how insane the idea is that long hair and lipstick and tits make a woman do you know what i mean because that just then boils you down to this weird little box that men have created you know let's be clear about this it's the patriarchy that have created this system that says that you have to be this and you have to be this and all of that's kind of fed through from christianity and colonialism you know that's how it's been spread
0: that's interesting. I don't think I've ever, ever heard a drag queen sort of admit about the, the misogyny that might be behind drag.
1: Um, I, yeah, I think that's because the way that I use it is not about enforcing that. It's about highlighting how stupid that is, you know, mm. because that's not what I see a woman as. Like a woman is not tits and hair and lipstick. That doesn't make any sense to me. And so that's how I approach it. I think, you know, there's an argument with Panto that in some ways it is enforcing that. But, I mean, I don't see it that way because it is saying this is not what being a woman is. You know, you can't just say a dress and hair and makeup makes a woman, you know. The way I'm approaching it is from the other end, not reinforcing it, going this is what a woman should be. This is me saying Mm -hmm. this is not what a woman is. This is a fallacy. You know.
0: Let's rewind a bit and go back yeah. to um, little Tavina when you were growing up, because I think it's fair to say, isn't it, little, little Tavina, when you're growing up, you get all these stereotypes sort of enforced on you, don't you? You tend to. I mean, mm. I remember my own mother trying to get me to wear a skirt once a week because she said that's what girls wear. <laughs> you know. God, well, there was a big row over that. But I mean, was there similar things going on in your household? Was that were they trying to push the binary on you in some way?
1: Or um, my my dad more than my mum, which is weird because when I came out, she did not react well. But when I was little, like that was absolutely not an issue. We had a dressing up box, and like my favourite thing in the dressing up box was a leopard print. It was this leopard print chenille veloury dress, and it had a gold trim. Round the neck, and then I think it had a split in it, you know. I think it had a split, so it had like gold, it was a sleeveless dress with gold trim. I mean, tacky as hell, so tacky, but that was my Uh favorite dress, yeah, absolutely foul. But I loved it, I thought it was, you know, this is it, yes, I love my life. I'd always been dressing up anyway as a kid, and that hadn't been a big deal, but then I remember once we had a playroom. I mean, we were so middle class, crikey, who has a bloody playroom? (laughs) So (laughs) I remember putting all these dresses on and then going in and feeling like, oh, look, I got all these silly clothes on. And my dad's face was, he was just like incandescent. And mum just went, oh, very nice. And dad just sat there and was like seething. And that was the, I think the first time that I remember, you know, thinking, oh, there's something wrong doing this you know dad doesn't like it but i don't know why my experience of my father is that he's very much that generation of men where they weren't taught how to talk about their feelings or talk or express emotion in any other way than anger
0: (laughs) Mm. how old would you have been then then
1: i think i was about four five i was really little
0: and then the older you got, I guess, um, are you getting any attitude in the playground for not conforming to sort of gender binaries?
1: Yeah, not conforming was definitely a thing for me. It wasn't such a thing at junior school. That was the thing. Like junior school, that just didn't didn't seem to factor into people's heads. So you know, junior school for me actually was a really happy time. I felt well supported in school. You know, there were the naughty kids there, but somehow they didn't seem to have that much of an impact on me or my thinking or any of that stuff. So every time at school I was singing in a, in the choir, I was in the, you know, the little school show, I was learning violin, I was going to ballet class. So, you know, I was just dancing around like a fruit loop, any moment I could get. That's why I was kind of confused when my mum was so, she reacted really badly when I came out. But she'd never kind of held me back from doing any of those things, you know? If ever there was a little Queer kid, it was me. You know, I was like the absolute stereotype epitome of faggy little gay singing in the choir, loving Barbara Streisand, get me that Barbara (laughs) Dixon on the radio. I am loving all of this. Like the song that my brothers and sisters used to sing to me all the time in the car was... So macho, you gotta be so macho. Uh, macho. And I was like, okay, why are they singing this at me? Oh, it's because I'm not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great song, though, you probably joined in. (laughs) Oh, God, I love your laugh so much to me, like listen to it all day. Um, So when you say coming out to your mum, I'm assuming you came out as gay then initially, did
1: you? Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't really talked about non binary. I just put that out on the internet. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like at this point, anybody needs anything else from me. It doesn't change who I am. And we've reached that point in our relationships where actually, if you want to know what it means, go and look it up. But yeah, coming out is gay. We were in (laughs) Avita. Coming out is a process. You know, it doesn't all just happen at once. So from high school, that's when, you know, I started to become really aware that I was different to everybody else and there was something else going on for me that maybe wasn't going on for everybody else. I had loads of girlfriends, though. Like, I had so many girlfriends. I had, like, 30 different girls that I'd gone out with, maybe 40 at school. Like, I really went out with... Were you touching them? Uh, One or two, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, 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 loads of kissing. Oh, my God, kissing all over the place. (laughs) Give me a kiss, absolutely. (laughs) But I mean you're saying touching, I mean there was some touching. Um Yeah.
0: It's all right. You don't have to tell me your intimate sexual pastor I mean I'm nosy but not that nosy. Well I'm nosy. <laughs> oh
1: God. Yeah, so oh, God. some of that definitely happened. But even even when I'd had girlfriends, I was saying like, Oh, I think maybe I'm gay to different people in my friend circle. So like year seven and eight, I sort of said, maybe I'm gay. I don't know. Maybe I am. But I mean, I was so gay. Like I was practically skipping to school. That's how gay I was. Mm-hmm. I think like year 10 was when I properly came out to like my then friend circle. And then it was like just common knowledge. You know, everybody just knew, oh, he's the gay one, which I mean, everybody had known anyway. I'd been getting called by boy and faggot and queer and all of that stuff from day one of high school.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. That must have hurt. That must have hurt, though, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Like, that's what I mean. Like, junior school, it just wasn't a thing. And then I Mm. got to high school and suddenly, like, you're the one to pick on. So high school was really difficult. And because of Section 28, which, you know, when I was on Drag Race, I talked about that. It just meant that teachers didn't feel comfortable or able to, to combat it. You know, Mm. so even though they knew that it was bullying and they knew that it was wrong, their hands are kind of tied because if they said, look, you can't bully him because he's gay, then they're saying that's equal to straight relationship which the legislation specifically said that they could not do so you know the homophobic teachers which of course there are always homophobic teachers as well as supportive teachers it gave them a free pass and then the teachers who were supportive it meant that they would really struggle it just tied their hands and meant that they couldn't really do anything so my way of dealing with that was like at high school I would I'd put up with it for so long and then I'd get to like Three, four months, and then I'd just kick the shit out of somebody. You know, I would just go, like, Rah! and smash somebody's head in.
0: And you literally had to fight them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, like, it would just be the red mist would descend. I'd just go for somebody and smack them. And,
0: and did you get in trouble for that, then, or did it offer you some protection afterwards?
1: It offered me protection afterwards for definite. Like, this is not me saying this is how you should deal with it. It's not a healthy way to deal with. No. <laughs> don't Don't go around punching people. Um But I think with the culture and how things were at the time, it was one of the only ways that really was left to me to deal with it. But after I'd done that, whether it was lower school or upper school, I would go to the office and I would say, look, I've just done this. Um, I think they were a year nine or a year ten. I'm really sorry. You know, most of the time they would say, look, you can't do this. You know you can't do this. It's not acceptable. But unless someone comes and complains about it, there's nothing we can do.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. God. So yes, so tough school times then. But um, you you were mentioning that you were in Ibiza. Was this about when you were about to tell your parents, was it, in Ibiza?
1: Yeah. Well, so mum and dad, mum and dad at this point have broken up. We're on holiday with mum in Ibiza in, I don't know where it was, because I worked in Ibiza for two years, you know, when I was like in my 20s. I don't know where this hotel was. I worked all over the island and I still have no idea where it was. I mean, really, it could have been Clacton and I just didn't know. So I think it was Aviva. And my mum was having a go at me because I'd been out all day with these people that I'd met on holiday. You know, just being a teenager, you know, ignore your family and go and hang around with other people who you don't really know. (laughs) I'd been out with them all day and she was saying, you know, you've been really antisocial. You never see us. You're not here. Blah, 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 blah. And then... She just went, and sometimes I think you're gay. And I was like, well, yeah, I am. How do you know? How do you know? Ah! (laughs) It was like the worst possible thing for her that that would be a thing for me. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, again, she's a, a boomer. So she's born in that time where it was still illegal to be gay. She'd lived through the 80s and we were in... You know, this would have been like 90, what, 95, 96. So Mm -hmm. you'd have the 80s where people were literally getting gay bashed, you know, and she's fully aware of what's going on. And then you've got the AIDS crisis and the way people had been stigmatized because of that. And I think, you know, she was less worried about me and more worried about how society was going to treat me.
0: And I guess she probably didn't have any LGBT role models or know any gay people in her own circle of friends, necessarily. It does make a difference, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, funny how (laughs) all these things that adults say to you when you're a kid, they really stick in your head. And she said to me that, you know, she had spoken to somebody who was gay and they'd said it was probably just a phase and not to worry about it. And, you know, I mean, how many of us have heard that? That it's just a a phase and it's going to pass.
0: Who was this gay person that said that? Because I've certainly met homophobes that said that, but I've never met a gay person that said that. Oh, it's just a phase I'm going through. I'm going to be straight next week.
1: And also, they must never have met me.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I mean...
1: And I am very much very aware of how I am the stereotypical peacock queen, you know. I'm very visible.
0: And um, that's why we love you, Davina. <laughs> oh, thank you.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so has she just dealt with it really badly. I do think, you know, it wasn't that she was homophobic. It was that she was worried about the impact that that was going to have on my life and how society would treat me because of that. But, you know, how old was I when Queer Folk came out? 14, 15. So it was around the same time because Queer Folk sort of gave me a lot of hope. You know, Mm. as a little queer kid watching that going, okay, so these people do exist. You can have a life and it'll be fine.
0: It sounds like you've sort of justified her reaction after the event and you can cope with it all now. But I'm guessing at the time it was probably a difficult conversation and hurtful and upsetting. Oh, it was
1: awful. It was awful. Like as a kid going through that at home because, you know, she would come home and she'd go, I need to talk to you. And we would do that. So it was, it was really hard. I mean, I'm a teenager, so at that point, (laughs) all you can think about is yourself anyway. So I probably was just a selfish little shit. Quite a lot of the time, I still am, so... (laughs) (laughs) I can own that. That's fine. Because I was having that at home, and then I was having that at school. I was in a real, real tough place at that point.
0: So did you not know any other gay people? Obviously, you were watching Queer as Folk on the telly, maybe, but were you able to go out to any gay bars eventually? Or was that a bit further down the road?
1: That was further down the road, definitely. So I came out when I was like 14, 15. And I was definitely, at that point, the only sort of visible out kid in school. I mean, there were other kids in school who were camp, but I was definitely like the target, you know, enemy number one for everybody at school, which was fine because actually, if it had been somebody else who wasn't as resilient as me, they'd have gone home and killed themselves. Whereas I was like, I know what I want to do with my life. You know, I know that I'm not going to live in Brick House forever. I know that these people are not going to be here forever. And I'm going somewhere. I'm, and I was really, really lucky in a lot of ways. I had other people that I knew who were really involved in theatre, involved in dance, involved in singing, acting, all of that stuff, who were really inspirational people. You know, they achieved amazing things in their lives. And they all just seemed to pop up at the right time, for when i needed them
0: so you found your role models even if they weren't necessarily other gay people there were, there were people there to support you
1: yeah absolutely you know and i was really really lucky in that that i i found those people when i needed them most from sort of 15 16 i did know other gay people i had a a, a guy who was heavily involved in theater and he sort of helped a lot and then i can't remember how i met these people But I went to a party, met these people, and then they were like, oh, do you go to the gay group? And I was like, what do you mean, the gay group? What are you on about, the gay group, all the gays? Um, And they were like, well, on a Wednesday, there's um, a youth group for, for gay kids in town. And I was like, is there, what? I think I would have been in sixth form at this point when I started going to that. Yeah, it must have been because my friend James, who was not out in school, we were like really good friends in school, camp as tits I love him to bits but he was not out I think maybe because he'd seen a bit of how I was getting so much flack you know so he was like mm, I'm going to wait until I'm not here and I'm yeah. at college somewhere else and then I'm going to say hey guys I like it <laughs> the shitter he also was going to this gay group but I didn't know
0: and this was in Brickhouse?
1: no this was in Huddersfield so then I started going to this Uh, Gay group on a Wednesday and then afterwards we would go to the gay pub Ah, because Huddersfield was one of the first places to have a gay pub outside of Manchester the Greyhound had been there for like 30 years it was like an institution in its own right when it used to be that you know gay bars were really niche you know there weren't very many in the country. People used to drive from, like, Manchester to go to that pub or go to this pub or go to the you know. So people would drive for miles and miles to go to, there's a gay pub here, we'll go there tonight.
0: Yeah, well, pre-social media, that's how we used to meet people, isn't it? That's what we did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know, which is, I mean, weird. God, who would want to actually meet a real person? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the germs, the germs. Oh, definitely now.
0: Did you ever come out to your dad as well then, separately?
1: That happened much later. So mum had also kind of planted in my head that he was really homophobic, which, I mean, he probably is. I've never really talked to him about any of that stuff. But I think he asked one of my brothers. I think he asked my brother, Reese. And Reese said, yeah, he is. And his reaction, Rhys said, was literally just, well, out of so many kids, of course, because there's seven of us, you know.
0: Oh, I didn't realise that. That's a big yeah. family.
1: Yeah, so I've got four older brothers and then my sisters are younger than us. So that was his reaction, you know, out of so many. Well, of course, there's going to be at least one. So
0: so, so he was kind of, kind of OK. That's a... Yeah,
1: he just sort of went, oh, OK, yeah, fine.
0: He was happy with the ratio there then. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's not like out of seven of us that everybody needs to have children. That really does not need to happen for the planet. So, you know, I'm doing my bit for the ecosystem here. <laughs> oh,
0: And what were your brothers and sisters like then?
1: Fine. Yeah, everybody was fine. Hugh had some issues around it, but I think it's because at the time he was heavily into the church and the teachings are really mixed and confused in the Bible. You know, because all of the, there's these seven passages that they talk about homosexuality in the Bible. And like, if you really look at those and the context of them, they're all tainted by power relationship, not one of them talks about a loving relationship. They're all about somebody's holding all the power and subjugating somebody else, you know. But those are the passages in the Bible which are always used against gay people. But if you really dig into them and actually look at the context around them, you know, well, actually, this isn't talking about two people who love each other. This is talking about somebody raping somebody. Okay, we probably shouldn't do that. This is talking about somebody who owns slaves who shouldn't. Their slaves, I mean, just don't own slaves. Um, you know, so I think there was, you know, some stuff about that, and we had a bit of a sort of fractious relationship, anyways. But now nobody cares, nobody
0: cares, you know. And sometimes on this podcast, I talk about coming out at work because you know, in, in, for some people, it is really difficult, and it's you know, there's a real there are a lot of boundaries in a lot of industries. Um, but I'm guessing being a drag queen isn't one really. Ah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, absolutely not. But I, I was a teacher before this, you know, in a former life. I was working in schools teaching. I think as a gay person in a school, you have to be a bit more careful than a, a straight person because they, it's so easy for somebody's parent to get the wrong end of the stick and then suddenly you're a paedophile and you're sacked and you're under investigation, all of that stuff. So I was very careful about talking about that stuff in school. And I would approach it in different ways. So like, you know, one example was we had a, a student teacher. I was talking to them and they were talking about something and they went, oh, that's so gay. And I was like, God. you know, when you feel a rage, the yep. absolute rage. And I was like, ha ha, okay, bye. So instead of me doing that, I spoke to the the head of PE instead and I said, Look, I'm not being the Rainbow Ranger here, but I think there's an opportunity here for you to have a conversation with this person so that they don't use damaging language.
0: God, well, exactly. Normally you have a battle with kids doing that sort of crap, don't you? You shouldn't expect the teachers to be doing it as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, that you know, the thing is, there's certain words that people use and they just don't think about the connotations of it. In certain instances, I'm a bit more forgiving about stuff like that because... It's not your experience, so you didn't educate yourself about it, so you don't understand the ramifications of using language in that way. But that isn't a free pass for carrying on to do that, you know. So once you're made aware of that, actually, you need to you need to be aware of it and alter your language.
0: So when you were a teacher, did you have... Um, you must have had LGBT students who you could probably spot and maybe see were struggling. Were you able to advise them, or was it just a bit difficult? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean... If kids come and talk to you, it doesn't matter whether they're LGBT or whatever, you know, I think teenage years are just incredibly difficult for everybody. And then you add on, you're different because of X, Y, Z, P, you know, whatever it is, it makes it even more difficult. You know, most of the kids are fully aware of what's going on with me. They absolutely know. Like one of the lessons I went into and... <laughs> I was teaching the A-level performing arts and... um One of the girls, I can't remember her name, but she was so like sassy and uh, uh, uh. And she just went, sir, we think your Tina Turner was really good. And I was like, okay, great. Um, So, (laughs) that's what I do. Um, That's how I'm paying my bills. Any questions? Everyone was like, no. Okay, great. Let's get on then. You know, so, the kids knew that I was doing drag and, and all of that stuff, which then made me like, oh, because some of my rewrites are really not. Oh, I see. They should come with a warning. So,
0: had they found you? <laughs> had they found you online then, or something? Yeah. Yeah, they hunted
1: me out online, the oh. little bookers.
0: I mean, how lucky though to be if you're an LGBT person or, or just anyone that wants to be fabulous to have a drag queen as a teacher. I mean, I think more of it. Yeah. Right. I mean, drag queen drag queen story time is a thing, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And the kids really were not bothered in the slightest. You know, as long as you don't try and hide it or go, oh, no, that's not me. Oh, oh and make a big thing about it. Kids just don't care. They actually <sighs> don't care. So like when my BTEC group found out who were like 14, 15, they were like, so sir, are you a drag queen? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, Why? And I said, because I look like this and I sound like this. So what else am I going to do? And they were like, yeah, that makes sense. Good. What are we doing today, sir? And I was like, yeah. oh, that was the easiest. I, like, I never imagined it was going to be this easy. And that was the thing with BTEC. Me as a practitioner, I was supposed to be there to teach them what it's like to be in a professional setting. And you have to know what you are in a professional setting. I can't mm-hmm. go for Javert or Jean Valjean. I am not a big, butch, burly man. There's no way anybody's going to believe that this little body is able to pick up a horse and cart. That just cannot happen. And I have to recognize that, you know, as a professional performer. So what is it that I can do that will, will lead to a successful career?
0: Well, I think you would have been a very inspiring teacher. So I, I generally t- tend to end by asking people what, you know, what they would advise to people that hadn't come out yet. Yeah, they don't have to be young people, just anyone that's not as far on their journey and has sort mm. of accepted who they are fully and come out to the world. What, what advice would you give? Oh,
1: when you're ready, everybody else is ready. So it, it's not a race, you know, when I have people write to me and say, oh, I I feel like I, I should come out and da, da 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 that's up to you. Nobody else has any right to knowing more about your life than you want them to. I saw this thing, Munro Bergdorf had kind of articulated this in a way which I, I hadn't really thought about. So she'd, she was talking about on social media, if she blocks you, all she's doing is she is saying, you do not have any right to have access to me. And I don't have to give you access to me. And that's what I would say about, you know, coming out. It's up to you, it's your life, it's your body, your journey, and it's not a race. When you feel like it's time, everybody else will be ready. And if they're not, then they weren't, they weren't really there for you to begin with. I mean, I would just say as well, don't be scared. You know, don't be scared. Because 99.9% of people just don't care anymore. You know, it's not a a thing. But things have really changed now, in the main, you know. I think there's been a bit of dog whistling and legitimising of anti-LGBT stances in the media, particularly at the moment, like the stuff with Liz Truss and Baroness Mm. Dickhead about Mm. trans issues and JK shit for brains. There's a real pushback. And when you follow things back to the source of where they're coming from, unfortunately, a lot of it is coming from evangelical Christians. You know, the money is coming from the church and far-right organisations quite often.
0: Have you noticed that? Have you noticed any, like, increase in homophobia or transphobia on, on social media or even in person?
1: So I haven't experienced any trolling. You know, that I've had it once where people came onto my live feed and trolled me. But I did a thing for Bite Size for parents. Like it says very clearly, a guide to surviving lockdown and supporting your LGBT kids for parents. Parents! You know, it says yep. parents with an exclamation mark at the beginning. Parents. A guide to. And the... <laughs> The amount of abuse I have received online because of doing that, because people can't read for a start and they're going, you're trying to indoctrinate children. Um, You know, when it's very clearly a resource for parents. I feel a bit like, you know, three, four years ago, there would have been less of that. But there has definitely been a shift in the last three, four years to legitimizing those views again. You
0: know. Yeah, just goes to show, even though we couldn't march the streets this year, there's always a need for pride, right?
1: Always. There is still a lot of work to be done. And just because people, you know, we're really lucky we live in Manchester. It's a very open and accepting city. But in the outskirts of Manchester, in Greater Manchester, that is not necessarily the case. You know, there's plenty of little towns where which are really still very homophobic.
0: Can I just ask you before you go, it just suddenly struck me, do you ever get recognised when you're not in drag? Do people just go, oh, you look like Divina De Campo? Or can you just, like, be completely incognito because you haven't got the big red hair or the big frocks? Or
1: No, all the time now, all the time now, yeah. Which yeah. is really embarrassing when you're in Aldi looking at the electric-generating hamster wheel. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> And people are going, why is she buying that? Oh my god, it's defeated a camo. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so it does happen a lot now, which is weird but, you know, nice.
0: And you know what? I've never even realized until about half an hour ago when I went online, you've got your own shop. She's got products. Oh of course. Yeah. You've got posters, you've got enamel badges, you've got it all going on. Oh yeah.
1: I mean all of that is in America and I'm just now, having things here in the UK as well, so it's you're not having to wait three weeks to get stuff.
0: <laughs> well, I'm so glad, <laughs> fab. And when can we next see you maybe uh, on our telly box or doing something in public?
1: I've got various bits and pieces coming up, so I know that there's like a Vox Pops thing that I did, um, but I don't know when that's out. I mean, I just seem to pop up at the most unexpected moment, so. <laughs>
0: without a doubt the best laugh in show business a massive thank you to davina decampo please do subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and we'd also really appreciate it if you'd find the time to leave us a rating or a review to find out more about coming out stories ask us a question or even offer your own story for an interview you can follow us on twitter at come out stories or at coming out stories pod on instagram we'd love to hear from you I'm Emma Goldswell and Coming Out Stories is edited by Sam Walker and is a What Goes On Media production. Now I'm afraid that's it from us for a little while. We're going to take a little summer recess and we'll be back in the autumn with loads more inspiring guests for you. In the meantime, please do listen back to our many, many episodes and please rate us and give us a review too. It would mean so much. Oh. And did we mention we've got a book out as well? It's also called Coming Out Stories. It's edited by me, Emma Goswell, and by Sam Walker. And it's available now to pre-order. See you next time.